Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, Episode 29, Treatment for Childhood Trauma, Part 1. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. And this is Dr. Donna Bevanley helping you heal your family legacy. Well, I would like to start off by saying welcome back. Uh, It feels like I've been gone a while, even though it's been a week. I taped these, of course, and I've been hiking the John Muir Trail for the last two and a half weeks. And um, so now I'm back trying to readjust to the world. Um. I just wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of uh, situations I noticed on the trail, and this isn't specific to anyone, so if anyone that was on the trail is listening to this, trust me, I'm not talking about you. Um, And that was that the boundary issue, which I always find so interesting, and what we we talked about last time, that the boundary issue that, that comes up over and over again, is people who are not aware of their surroundings and uh, when they're not aware of where they are on the in the world, on the planet, um, unaware of other people who might be around, unaware of their own sense of reality. It was very interesting because, you know, up in the High Sierras on the Joan Muir Trail, there are a lot of people, not many my age, a few, but not many. Um, and I was struck by how, even though we're on a trail, it's not like we have a highway up there, how people were really unaware of where they were at. And um, just so, so when I was talking last time about having those inner emotional boundaries, this is what you do when people are, crowding you and you know there's not not a lot of room for you to ask for a change of behavior that you can always take care of yourself by uh slowing down speeding up moving a little bit yourself 
because boundaries are about self-containment. And when you're self-contained, you're actually able to do what you need to do to feel safe and comfortable wherever you are. And it, you can ask for a change of behavior. Absolutely. You can ask for a change of behavior, but you can't pin your hopes on that. You have to be able to, if the answer is no or the answer is nothing, you have to be able to say, okay, how important is this? If it is important and I've asked for a change of behavior and it's not going to happen, then I just need to take care of myself and move myself so that I don't find myself feeling really uncomfortable and unsafe. So <clears throat> that was a that was kind of an interesting uh, reality. And after all these years, I you know I can't just go in the mountains and forget everything I know. I it runs through my head. And that, that's always one of the things that happens in airports. It happens in grocery stores. It happens in the line at the bank, which I haven't really been into a bank for a while now. But, you know, when people used to walk into the bank and stand in line, I noticed it there. And that, you know, sometimes they're perfect strangers and you don't feel comfortable asking them to move their body one way or another. You just, you know, I can wait a few more minutes. I'll go back behind this person or something. So anyway, the boundary issue, I've said it last time, I'll say it again, is one of the most important aspects of this recovery process. And and I also wanted to mention today a little bit about how, how you learn about boundaries. And if you grow up in a family that is functional, that that gives you unconditional positive regard, unconditional love, and yet with guidance and direction that is absolutely needed, um, you will learn about boundaries. And how is that? When the child says no, they're basically saying, give me my space. Like if they say, no, I don't want you in the bathroom with me. While I go to the bathroom, they're basically saying, I need a sexual boundary here. They don't know what that is, but it seems to be pretty much how children behave when they're young and even when they're growing up or when the child puts, you know, the teenager puts up signs on the door saying, keep out, only kids, only this, only that. The message is very clear, and that is that adults need to Give them their space. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the day that parents stop paying attention, but it is the day that parents sit down and talk to their kids about, um, you know, okay, well, if I need to come in and talk to you or if I need to come in and, you know, look around or get your laundry or whatever, how do I do that? And that is key to boundaries, you know, because because when you have a boundary and when you um, acknowledge other people's boundaries, you ask. So the kid says, well, just ask. Knock on the door and ask. Or if the kid doesn't know, well, I don't know how you do that. Say, how about if I just knock on the door and ask if I can come in? Most of the time, kids are not in there doing things that you don't want them to do. They just are trying to separate themselves and establish themselves as human beings separate and apart from their parents. And if any of you remember what that was like, it wasn't easy. 
I mean, I remember in my own life about, oh, maybe 14 or 15-ish, um, I realized one day that, oh, I'm not going to live here my whole life. <laughs> These people aren't going to be in my life every day. My parents aren't going to be here. I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to be dealing with my own life. And on the one hand, it was thrilling, really exciting. On the other hand, it was absolutely terrifying because when you're a kid, you don't know anything else. You don't know what it's like to live on your own. You don't know what it's like to be responsible for yourself. And so your parents and parents, you know, if they were paying attention, they were busy uh, helping you learn how to do that. And one of the things was to respect the no. Respect the no. When a child says no, respect the no. You don't, you don't invalidate the no because what happens with that child when you invalidate the no, something goes off in their head that says, I can't say no. I have to say yes to everything. Kids think in those global kind of terms, and when they feel like they have to say yes to everything, that can be really problematic when they're trying to negotiate and navigate in the world. So, you know, those those boundary issues are huge. They're the difference between feeling safe in the world and capable of taking care of yourself in the world and not being able to do that or continually finding yourself in situations where you thought everything was okay and it isn't okay and you don't understand why it's not okay. So, you know, those boundary issues are pretty major in the world and pretty major for kids to learn. You know, I was noticing my little grandson, he's not even one yet, but um, <laughs> he tried a new food he didn't like and he's not verbal right? But he's already setting boundaries. Like he, he tried a new food that he wasn't wild about when he first tasted it. And his little head was just going back and forth. No, 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 no. <laughs> and his, his mother wisely, cause she's a wise woman said, um, Oh, you no, you don't like this. No, no. He, he didn't say no, but his little head was just going back and forth and he was making this face. And she said, okay, buddy. And that was it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, well, this will be good for you. It'll make you grow big and strong and blah, blah, blah. And all those things are true. But, you know, it's also important for the child to be recognized and acknowledged and respected when they say no. You know, it's a, in my opinion, the only time that it is not okay for the child to just say no and have that be all right is if it's a life and death or health situation. Obviously, if they want to run out into the street without you and you say, come back here, and they say no, yeah, that's not acceptable. But most of the time, what I notice, because when I'm gone, I really notice this, is that, you know, with children, it's more about, it seems to be more about how parents think other people view their parenting versus the the needs and wants and learning of the child. Because, you know, who cares if the kid is 
you know, standing, waiting to get on the elevator and, you know, like going back and forth on their feet because they don't stand still very well. And the parent, stand still, stand still, stand still. Who cares? This isn't a life and death or health situation. So if you can leave that, let the child be who they are, and, and you know, rein them in when necessary, but not when you think it makes you look bad. Because that seems to be a real factor. Anyway, so I'll, I've referred to boundaries before. I'll probably refer to boundaries again because once, once you've had some recovery from your childhood trauma, boundaries, or the B word I like to say, boundaries are the biggest issue that people f- deal with ongoing. So there's that. Now, how do people recover from all of this? Well, one of the first things that you have to do is you get educated. You have to understand what childhood trauma really is. And like I've also said before, it's not necessarily uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, although that certainly is. It's not just that. A lot of people, and I, you know, I've heard this over and over again, is it people say, well, I really had a happy child. Nobody beat me and nobody sexually abused me. Okay, well, that's a piece. And certainly if those things have happened to you, it's, you know, it's a no-brainer to know that that's abuse. But what about the, the type of abuse where you're left alone or where you are chastised on a regular basis or your parents are really critical and uh, that you feel like there's nothing you can do that's right. Um, how about when you feel like you're, you know, in your 50s and you're still trying to get the approval of your mother or your father because they've never had any approval of you. They've never given, given you any indication that you are lovable, that you're acceptable, and that you are perfectly unperfect in their eyes. Um, that's really traumatic. And what it does is it makes the child, uh, continually focus on where they're going to get that kind of approval versus allowing their brains to develop into the human beings that they are supposed to be. And, you know, I've, I think it's really sad when I hear that grown people, my age even, which is pretty old, it's like, still trying to get the approval of their parents or and or um, still angry at them for what they did or did not do. You know, there's an indication that there's some unfinished business there. Whether or not the unfinished business is because persons never had the opportunity to get educated or the unfinished business is that the, the wounds are so deep that, you know, it takes a lot more than, you know, what, I prescribe here, or sometimes it's just habitual. People get used to being angry at parents, and and they get really used to blaming the parents. And if you remember way back when, when I started this, this isn't about blame. We're not blaming your parents. You know, I had somebody say to me, "Well, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with that because I don't. I don't want to be mad at my parents." You don't, you know, your parents are only actors in your story here. 
You are not going to go up and tell your parents, well, I've learned some things about you and what you did, and I know now why I did this and that and the other thing. It's absolutely irrelevant to them. It's relevant to you. And that's why you want to do this. It's first part is education. And you, if you don't know what it is that you're dealing with, you, I mean, really, how are you going to actually sew it up and work it out? If you don't know what it is, well, you're not. So education is the first pink thing. Now, there are a lot of books out there. Mine, for one, Iron Legacy, Childhood Trauma and Adult Transformation. That's one. I like it. Took a long time to write. I think it's useful. Um, there's a couple of others that I'm really familiar with. One is by Pia Melody. It's called Facing Codependent. And, you know, in the olden days, we, we called, uh, childhood trauma and the impact of childhood trauma. Uh, we called that codependent. Codependence is just emotional immaturity, right? And we talked about what all those emotional immaturities are. But Facing Codependence by Pia Melody is also a good reference. Um, It'll Never Happen to Me by Claudia Black. Uh, The Body Keeps the Score by Vander Hope. Um, There's a whole host of books that you can read to learn more about childhood trauma. And if you're curious about it and if you're wondering where I can get these books, then you probably have it. You know, it's like if you're seven feet tall and you're trying to figure out how to play basketball, you probably should be playing basketball. You know, so if you wonder about it, you probably have it. And I tell people this who who challenge me about their addictions, you know, and they and they come in and they say, oh, you know, I wonder if I have an alcohol problem or I wonder if I have a drug problem or a porn problem or you name it. If, you know, uh, addictions, if you are simply put, you behave in a certain way over and over again in spite of harmful consequences, um, that's an addiction. And people want to come in and, you know, well, I want to find out if I have an addiction. Let's say you walked in here, you took time off work, you're paying me money to ask me if you have an addiction. What does that tell you? You probably do. Okay, you don't even, you don't have to give me all the information. You're just here. Um, so getting an education is the first part. The next is, you know, that part of the education is also identifying your own history. Now, when you are reading and listening to the podcasts and doing all the things that people are doing to identify their childhood drama, and you start to realize that, well, this is my story. You want to find your real story, not the story that was told to you, not the story that you've been, you know, in your own mind starting in childhood thinking that, well, you know, you know, they were really nice to me. They didn't hurt me at all. They didn't beat me. They didn't sexually abuse me. So I'm okay. That would be a story that you told yourself as a way to get through really difficult experiences of a child, which, you know, my guess would be if that is you having that conversation with yourself, it was born about neglect and abandonment than physical or over abuse. So you say, oh, well, you know, I better change the narrative here. Yeah, you change the narrative and you say, wow, 
you know, I was by myself. I didn't have anybody around. Nobody interacted with me. I bring home my report cards and nobody said anything to me about it. But sometimes I'd get the look or sometimes I'd get the eyebrow raise or sometimes I'd even get the, is this all you can do? And that'd be it. Like that is really traumatizing for children. Um, and so you might say, well, okay, that wasn't good for me. And it probably impacted me in the following ways. And I could tell you right now that if you had abandonment and, uh, neglect, you're still trying to get their approval. <laughs> I could tell you that right now. You're the one who's like trying to figure out the best way to help them or work with them or, you know, as an adult, you're still calling them up to tell them about all the exciting things you're doing. And, you know, it's like, that's fine. I think it's fine to share with your family all the exciting things you're doing. But you look at the motivation and the motivation would be so that they will approve. I'm calling them because this is going to be the big one. I finally wrote the book. And they're going to be so excited and they're going to say, gosh, Donna, great job. And so like when I finally finished my book, that didn't even occur to me to call, up, <laughs> to call up anybody in my family and say, hey, I finished the book. You know, that wouldn't happen because their approval doesn't matter. If they love me, they love me. And if they don't, they don't. And if you've ever tried to get somebody to love you and it worked, please let me know. You know, email me at healingyourfamilylegacy at gmail.com. I would really like to know how you did that, how you got somebody to love you that didn't love you. So sometimes you find out that, yeah, they don't really love me. They don't, they, I was probably a problem for them, you know, in the beginning or whatever. It's hard to come to grips with that. I is really hard to come to grips with that. But when it's a fact, it's a fact. And and it's easier to deal with the facts of your childhood and your trauma than it is to keep running from it. Because the faster you run, the faster it runs, and it keeps biting you in the butt on the way. It bites you in the butt in, the, in your relationships with other people. It bites you in the butt at your job. It re- bites you in the butt when you're trying to parent. Because no, you can't get away from childhood trauma. It becomes part of your personality. It becomes part of your reality. And the only way that you can dig that out and create your own reality is by getting educated, being brave enough to face the facts of your childhood, and then acknowledging it and owning it. You know, you stop running, you stop trying to make it be something other than what it is, and it really does become manageable in terms of getting better from it, getting well from it, from recovering from it. You can't do it while you're on the run. Okay, so that's that's the educational part, being brave enough and willing enough to really look at the facts and deal with the reality of your own childhood. And remember, 
I, I said, well, that's that. But that's not that. Is that if you have siblings, their narrative will be completely different. Completely different. No two children have the same reality of their childhood. Well, for one thing, children are treated differently in families. And if you remember being a child, you knew who the favorite was. You knew. And and if you remember being a child, you knew whether they liked you or not. You could sense it. You could feel it. Why is that? Children are pure. They're innocent. And they know the truth. They know. I mentioned before, if I want to know what's going on in a family, I ask them, please bring the youngest child with you. Because the youngest child will act it all out. I sit there and watch them. It's like they're on, on a stage. Okay, I get it now. This, 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 and this. They don't lie. When children quote unquote lie, they're just looking for the right answer. And usually it's because they live in a family that's less than nurturing. Okay. If a child is having to figure out the right answer to every question, they're scared. And you might remember what I said about growing up in a family where you are afraid. It means you have trauma. It means that your brain didn't form the way it was supposed to because of the fear. Fear makes children's brains, it freezes them so that they might be learning something and then they're afraid and then it thaws out. And then they pick up where they would have been had they never left off. So there's holes in their learning. And fear, fear of your environment is one. So the next thing is I'm going to talk about is once you get the facts, the truth about your childhood on board, and you start to recognize that, oh, wait, this wasn't okay. <laughs> These things that happened or didn't happen it wasn't okay, and it impacted me. And maybe I've already started to figure out, oh, well, that's why I do that, or oh, that's why I do this. Um, it's like maybe you've already started to figure that out. But once you get that history straight, you need to share that history with other people. Um, you can share that with, you know, there, there are, uh, therapy groups that you can share that with. There are 12-step groups you can share that with. What I would say is that you, if you go into a 12-step group and you want to start sharing the history of your reality, okay, um, is that you want to go to that group long enough to really know whether or not it's safe. Um, sometimes, well, big surprise here, uh, 12-step groups attract people who are really in distress. <laughs> That's why they exist. Um, but there are groups that, even though the people are in distress, they know about the anonymity part, and they keep it to themselves. So you want to listen in a 12-step group like CODA, that's Codependence Anonymous, uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics, uh, Al-Anon. There's, there's all kinds of 12-step groups that are very helpful for this process, but you want to go and you want to be there long enough, go over and over again. Before you start sharing about yourself, you want to make sure these people 
know what anonymity is so that they don't walk out and say, hey, you know, we had this woman in my group that blah, 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 blah. You don't want to hear that. Okay. And you, you also, one of the ways that you can determine whether or not these people are safe is that if they keep coming back. So if you go for six times and people keep coming back, that's a pretty good indication too. You can also ask around in groups. Do people really keep what's here, what's said here in here? Because that's an important piece. The last thing you need is to be betrayed. It really, it just adds to the pain. Uh, therapy groups, they're very good. And, you know, there is a whole issue of confidentiality in therapy groups. The therapist is responsible for trying to make sure that everybody keeps that, um, sacred vow of confidentiality. Uh, so that's another good group. And, uh, so that, that's one, that's the next thing that you need to be able to do is to debrief. And next time, we'll talk about the next steps. And so till then, remember, healingyourfamilylegacy at gmail.com. Give me a, give me a, drop me a line and uh, I'll respond. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2021, Dr. Donna Bevanley, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.